1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And one announcement I failed to mention, my wife so graciously reminded me about, was a sign-up sheet for Mrs. Brock to take in meals for her. So if you're willing and able to do that, that would be greatly appreciated. I know she appreciates it very much. And of course, always says to give her greetings and her love uh, to the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as we continue in this study of this book of 1 Corinthians, preaching expositorily through it, I'm going to read verses 23 through the end of the chapter. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers... Will they say, not say, that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God, and report that God is in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Whether there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, and forbid not to speak with tongues, that all things be done decently and in order. So this morning the title of the message is The Preeminence of Preaching. The Preeminence of Preaching. So let's pray and we'll look at Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. And we thank you, Father, for that we have your words recorded for us and in our own language and preserved. And we thank you for that precious, the, the, the encouragement and the, the promises that you give us there uh, concerning it, that we can uh, have assurance that we have all things that pertains to life and godliness and that you've revealed yourself uh, through your precious word to us, all that we need to know and to, to live and to please you. We just pray you meet with us today, challenge us, encourage us, and bring conviction where it's needed, and may you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just a little bit of a review from last week that we looked at, particularly talked a lot about tongues, and of course in this passage it talks a lot about unknown tongue, but obviously... As we considered this, it's not an, a tongue that's spoken that nobody understands because twice it says, if a man speaks an unknown tongue, let somebody interpret it. And if, he doesn't, if there's nobody to interpret it, then he's not even to speak it. 
So obviously somebody knows what that language is. It's not some language that people use that only they and God, or they may not even understand, only God can understand. No, God understands plain languages. That's what he understands. And uh, he understands all languages. And, and so this is, these are, tongues is simply a language, and it was a gift given to the apostles for the transmission or the preaching of the gospel to people of whom they didn't know their language. And, by the way, that's why it says women aren't to use it. It was for the purpose of preaching the gospel. Every instance that tongues is used in the Bible, that's what it was done. It was men preaching the gospel to a people that they didn't know the language of. Acts chapter 2 makes that very clear. So, it's not an untoned tongue. Uh, so, and he says, and of course, it was the least gift. It was some, not something to be coveted. And, and we noticed last week the, the gift that was to be coveted, or the thing that was greater, as he says in verse 5, is prophesying. Now, we don't use the word prophesying today. We, we use the word preaching. That's what prophesying is. And, of course, prophesying in that time, again, understand the scriptures were not complete yet. At the time of this, Paul's penning this to the church of Corinth. So there was still scripture being given. There were still prophets foretelling things. Uh, revelation was still yet to be, to be, to be given. And so, so it was, it was, it, there was that uh, prophesying of those of things that had not yet been revealed that Paul was g- giving. But now that we have a complete Bible, as he says in chapter 13, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge ceases or vanishes away. In other words, it comes to an end. But we have a written revelation. We have a written revelation. And the things that abide are faith, hope, and charity, and preaching. Those are the things that God has given to us. So as we consider this again this morning, the context here of the church at Corinth, Apostle Paul under the leading of the Holy Spirit, is instructing them and us of things that are most important, that are lasting, that are beneficial in our day and time. Apostolic gifts were, were in use at this time, but they would soon be ceasing as they, as they had. But what would remain would be faith, hope, and charity. And the most beneficial gift that would be most helpful to us and the world is prophesying, or as we call it today, preaching. And this is a needed admonition for us in 2020. For many are substituting preaching with music, concerts, drama, entertainment, and you name it. The Bible still says he saves them through the foolishness of preaching. It's through the foolishness of preaching that men believe the truth and are safe. One commentator said this, quote, One of the major tasks of preaching is to find and lay bare the timeless truth. This is what preaching is. One of the major tasks of preaching is to find and lay bare the timeless truths of the Bible in such a way they will challenge and move listeners. You see, it is through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, 1 Corinthians tells us. And therefore, the preeminence, the most important thing, is preaching. And that's what Paul is telling us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You know, by, by preaching, we mean, and, and you know, there are different methods of preaching, but for our subject this morning, it means to unfold you know, the preaching is to unfold the grammatical, historical, contextual meaning of a passage and then make it relevant for today. Because the Bible is relevant. The truths of the Bible are timeless. 
you know, we, we, heard, we had appreciated the Sunday school lesson this morning and how that there's things that happen in Jephthah's life, clear back in B.C., what, 2000 B.C., maybe, or 1500 B.C., that are still applicable to us today. And that's what teaching and preaching of the Word of God does. So it is, you know, preaching is to explain a passage in its context, in the passage, in the book, and the whole Bible. In other words, what you teach has to agree with the rest of Scripture. In fact, if you notice here in verse uh, 32 of, uh, of 1 Corinthians 14, it says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You know, Isaiah says, If they preach not according to this word, it's because they have no light in them. So if it doesn't agree with Scripture, it's not biblical preaching. It has to agree with the rest of Scripture, the context, what it's in, and with the rest of Scripture. That's what we mean by context. And, of course, then making application to your life today. You know, if we can't make application to the life today from the Bible, what value is the Bible? It's given for us today. Its truth transcends all time. And so... The preeminence of preaching. I want you to notice several things that the preaching of the Word of God does for us, or what it's given for, as we consider this this morning. First of all, preaching is for edification. In verses 23 to 26, in our text here, it says, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edify. See, preaching is for the edification of the church. Edification of the church. And to edify means to build or build up. It's the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, holiness, and happiness. You know, when you build or make something, what you're doing is putting together pieces of different things to make one object. You're putting together different pieces to make one. You know, you may be putting pieces, uh, you know, Brother Robert's talking about building a shed. So what he's going to do is he's going to take pieces of lumber and put them all together and make one shed. You can take, you know, pieces and take, you can take brick and mortar and, and, and two-by-fours and two-by-sixes and, and plywood and, and shingles and make one house. And, and so what you're doing is you're taking pieces of things and you're building one object, one object. And so you're making something out. And this is, this is what the, the preaching is for. You know, we take the Bible, you know, different things of the Bible, and we build up or to make one, uh, us one in Christ. In Ephesians 4 and verses 12 through 16, verse 11 says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building or bringing together of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God under a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. 
You know, if you're going to put a building together, you just can't throw stuff wherever you want to. You have to put it in the right places. You have to put the pieces properly together. If you're making a puzzle, you have to put the pieces, the right pieces, in the right places. And if you're going to build your life, you have to take the Word of God. It's sort of like, it's sort of like taking the Word of God and the, and the different parts of it and bringing it together in context, in agreement with each other to build your life. Otherwise, you know, people, people take the Bible and make it say whatever they want. And then they wonder why it doesn't make sense. Or wonder why there, it seems to have contradictions. No, you have to rightly interpret the Scripture. If you do rightly interpret it, it agrees with itself. There's no contradictions in the Word of God. Uh, so, so, so he goes, and he goes on here. It says in verse fourteen that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying itself. In love. You know, and then one of the other problems that we have in our society today, in our world today, of course, with, with technology and, and the, 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 the increase of knowledge and the availability of information is, you know, a lot of people like to go to this person and get this and like to go to this person and get this and like, hey, if you have a problem, health problem, do you want to go to one doctor and get help from one doctor or you want to go to different kind of doctors and then decide which one you want to follow? You, you, if you go to the IRS and ask them for a problem, answer a question, if you ask two different people from the IRS, you'll probably get two different answers. If you ask, if you go to this preacher and that preacher and this guy on TV and that guy on TV and, and for your answers from the Word of God, you're going to end up confused. That's why he gave us church. So that there's unity. I remember years ago, we were in Maryland. Pastor saying one time about uh, there's a church just, I don't know, five miles out the road. And I remember the name. It was Fellowship Baptist Church. Got along 40. And uh, about every year and a half, they'd get a new preacher, it seemed. And he said, uh, he said one day, he said he was in the, college wing there at the church and this man came in and introduced himself and he said I'm the new pastor at Fellowship Baptist Church and he said I just said I'll pray for you he said about six months later he saw him again he said preacher I noticed your twinkle in your eye that day and you said I'll pray for you he said do you ever try and pastor a church where no two people will believe the same thing see there was no unity No, you have to put the pieces together properly. And preaching is for the building up. It promotes growth. And, and I'm going to notice four things about that preaching for edification. It must be consistent. There, there must be consistency or unity in preaching. If you notice in verses 29 through 33, he says, Let this prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. Again, understand this time there wasn't Bibles. They had some Old Testament scrolls. And, and there may have been a book of the Bible. James may have been written at this time. So there wasn't Bibles. So there was, there was men preaching a lot of the Old Testament. 
and, 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 and a lot of it was uh, preaching what they knew, like Apollos and Paul and so on and so forth. So there wasn't Bibles. So let the prophets speak, two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So a preaching, so as we think about this, you know, of course, you know, in that time, again, they didn't have Bibles, uh, New Testaments. But we have a Bible today, and, and as, as we think about this and apply this to today, our preaching is subject to or limited to what the Scriptures say. If I go beyond this, what I say is of no value. And, and then, if I go beyond this, you're not even obligated to follow me. But if I give you what the Scriptures say, then you are obligated to follow me. That's why Paul said four times, three times, follow me as I follow Christ. You see, you see, because what I'm, if, if I preach what the Bible says, it's not really my word that you have to deal with. It's his. It's his. It's not me you're going to answer to. It's the Lord. And so there must be consistency in preaching or unity in preaching. Again, Isaiah 8.20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there are no light in them. We've got a lot of people, a lot of so-called preachers today, preaching things that aren't true. Or preaching only certain parts of the Bible that everybody likes to hear, but the parts they don't want to hear, they don't preach. That's why I like expository preaching. I preach the whole book. So you get the things you like to hear, and you get the things that challenge you. you know, that's, that's the advantage of expository preaching, one of the advantages of it. Secondly, so there must be consistency. Secondly, it is to be done in a manner appropriate to the calling. If you notice in verse 40, it says, Let all things be done decently and in order. The word decently means appropriate, pleasing appearance, and good taste. Uh, one commentator said this, quote, The preacher is not an author reading his own manuscript. He is a voice, a fire, a herald, bold and eager in his sacred work, an orator speaking in heaven's name and strength, unquote. You see, we are engaged in sacred work. This is a sacred work. Preaching the Word of God is a sacred work. It's divine work. It is the work of God. We are on holy ground. And so we are to be appropriate or pleasing or in good taste. Yeah, we ought to dress and conduct ourselves in accordance with our calling. You know, people have an expectation of the appearance of a preacher. And it ought to be respectful. You know, we live in an age of the dress down look. You know, even when we go out witnessing, we ought to dress up, not down. Now, I'm not saying that does not mean you have to wear a tie or a coat, but you ought to look neat, well-ordered. You know, not with your shoes untied, 
Your shirt tail's hanging out. No, y'all look neat and well-ordered. You know, I don't even always wear a tie when I go visiting. Now, if I go to a particular person's house, I often do, but, but I don't always. It's not necessarily what you wear, it's how you wear it. It ought to look neat. You ought to look like you have things in order, that your life isn't a mishap. You know, a lot of people out there in the street today, just by looking at them, you would say their life's a mishap. Somewhere along the way, something didn't put together right. You know, they forgot to pull the pants up or put a belt on or, you know, or comb their hair or they missed some of it on this side or, you know, or, you know, we ought not to look like that. Yeah, we represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And a preacher ought to look the part. And in our society, that means looking like this for a preacher. Preaching the word of God in a church. Yeah, the dress down look says that I'm just like everyone else. My job really isn't any more important than anything else in the world. But from God's perspective, this is the most important thing in this world, is giving out the gospel. It has the power to save men from death and hell and transform their lives. You see, it has to be done in an appropriate manner. Thirdly, there is to be order. Again, verse 26 through 33 how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation of all things done under different... You know, that sounds like, boy, there was this person talking, and this person talking, and that person talking. You know, it sounded to me like confusion. And that's what was happening at Corinth. There was no order. Verse 40 says, Let all things be done decently in an order... Verse uh, 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Order. The word order here means orderly condition. It carries the idea of a military order. Did you ever see a military platoon platoon drill? It's something to watch. There is order. I mean, they're they're, they're they're just so orderly and together, you know. And that's, and that's the idea here. You know, we have, you know, we have an order of service. We have an order of service for a reason. It is arranged with a purpose to prepare for the most important part of the service. And that's the preaching of the Word of God. And so, again, there ought to be order in the church. And, and, and we ought to dress orderly. Again, we ought to dress orderly. Uh, Colossians 2, 5, he says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. You know, God is a God of order. You know, he, think about how he, he, how he created everything. It, it had an order. Creation has order to it. It's not like modern art. that looks like some little kid threw some, some paint on a canvas. You know, that's, that really is indicative of our society. 
And so there is order. Preaching is, edification is, there is order. There's also, this preaching is not for women in the church. Notice verses 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, again, understand the context here. It is a setting like we are right now. Do you know there was no such thing as Sunday school then? First Sunday school started in like 1780. There's no such thing as Sunday school. So this is a setting like this. And of course, it's believed that back in those days, the men and women set up in segregated. They were segregated. They set you know, even when I was growing up in midnight church, the women sat in one side, the men sat in the other. And, uh, and so in this, in this kind of setting, women were to keep silence. And, of course, that agrees with what 1 Timothy 2.12 says. But I suffer not a, we- a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. See, he's not saying here women can't teach children or women can't speak to women. But what he is saying is, in a church like this, women are not to prophesy. Which would include speaking in tongues. Because every time a preacher in the New Testament speaks in tongues, he's giving out the gospel in a language he hasn't learned prior to. So women aren't to prophesy in the church. Now, that doesn't mean you can't pass out tracts. That can't, doesn't mean you can't witness to people. That doesn't mean you can't speak to ladies or to children. But it does mean, again, in accordance with the rest of Scripture, women are not to teach men. You know, it's interesting. When Paul needed challenge about going to Jerusalem... There, Philip had four daughters that were evangelists. You know what they did? They, they witnessed to people. They were being used as witnesses to people. But they didn't say anything to Paul about going to Jerusalem. But you know what? When God needed to speak to Paul about going to Jerusalem, you know who he used? Agabus, a man. You see... Preaching is not for women. They're not to teach or serve authority over a man. Secondly, well, I need to move here. Preaching is for examination, verse 24. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. The word convinced means to be convicted. It's with a suggestion of shame of the person, like he's being con- that he's been convicted of a crime, or a fault, or an error, or sin. So, so preaching, preaching brings conviction on men of their sin against God. That's what preaching should do. It should convince them that they are guilty before a holy and righteous God. It says that they would, they would they, not only are they convinced of all, he is judged of all. In other words, he's, he's, he, he is uh, determined, is determined by preaching his excellence or his defects. See, Preaching brings you under God's microscope. That's what it should do. 
should bring you under God's microscope to be examined by, not by me, but by God. By God. See, you bring us under our God's microscope where we see ourselves before a holy and righteous God. And we, and we should come to the conclusion, as Job would say, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. What he's saying is, I'm loathsome. I'm vile in your sight. I'm empty. I'm vain. I'm nothing. See, most people today would say, well, I'm not that bad. I never murdered anyone. But you know, when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached to the Jews, and he declared to them that they had crucified and slain the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse 37 in Acts chapter 2, they were pricked in their hearts. In other words, they were convinced and they judged themselves that they were guilty before God of this man's death. They had condemned the just one. And then they said, men and brethren, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You see, preaching, the preaching of God's word examined them it convicted them and judged them. They judged themselves, therefore they judged themselves guilty. In Luke chapter 11, verse 32, uh, Luke tells us, The men of Nineveh rose up and shall rise up in judgment of this generation, so condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. See, Jonah's preaching revealed that they were guilty of the wickedness before God. And they repented of that wickedness. First Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 1.18 and 21 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. See, it's by the foolishness of preaching that saves us. We, we are examined, we're found guilty, and, and therefore we can repent and turn to God and be saved from our sins. So preaching is for examination. Preaching is also for revelation. Notice verse 25. Thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of the truth. You know, preaching reveals to us the person of God. Notice he says there, falling down, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. See, when, we, when, we preach, when a person preaches the word of God, we should see God. We should see God. We should see God's standard. We should see God's holiness. We should see God's righteousness. Not just some motivational message, how we can be like God. Or have His favor. No, we should see God. In John 1... The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And, of course, verse 13 says, the Word was made flesh. You see, this book is a revelation of the person of God. 
He reveals to us the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. You know, we have a book at the end of this book called The Revelation. Why is it called The Revelation? Because you know who it really reveals? It's called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And in that book, it tells us that He is Jehovah God, the Almighty. It reveals Jesus for who He really is. It's really not possible, I don't think, to really know who Jesus really is unless you read the book of Revelation. Because you don't see Him just there as a Savior, although you do see that. You don't see Him there just as a Lamb of God, slain, but you do see that. But you see Him there as the one who's coming again in righteousness and judgment. Is going to judge us. In wrath, those that reject him as Lord and Savior. We see in this book the holiness of God, the love of God. For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten Son. We see his righteousness, his justice, his equity, his, that he is immutable, he does not change, that he has all power, he is omnipotent, and yet that he limits himself to his word. He will never deny himself. He will not act in disagreement with this book. After all, he is the word. He is the word. You know, he has all power, and yet he does not force men to follow him. He says, whosoever will may come. See, it is a revelation of himself so that we might have fellowship with God Almighty. That's why he's given it to us. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you believe on the name of the Son. God has given us his word so that you and I can know him, can know him. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, John tells us that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. You know, like the Samaritan woman, after meeting Jesus, and He said, I am He, she left her water pots. She forgot what she came to the well for. And she ran back to the city and said, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You know what? She had joy that she didn't have before. Because she came to know God had revealed himself to her and she had received him as her Lord and as our Savior. And so it reveals to us the person of God, but it also reveals to us the secrets of our heart. Notice verse 25. It says, And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. The secrets of his heart. 
See, when the Word of God is preached, it reveals to us the secrets of our heart. In Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, and verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth was after God in this, and hope of eternal life, which God cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And then he says in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. In other words, these are those that are opposing the truth. He says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. How do you stop the mouths of those that speak against the truth of the Word of God? By the Word of God. Verse 9 again, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. You see, God makes himself known through preaching, and he reveals to us our own hearts through preaching. The word manifested there in verse 3, he's manifested his word through preaching. The word manifested means to make known by teaching of God giving instruction through the preachers of the gospel. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12 and 13. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Notice what it says here. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in... What's the next word? His. Now, wait a minute. Now, verse 12 says... The word of God is quick and powerful. And then verse 13 calls it his. So the word of God and his are synonymous. See, God reveals through his word, which is him, the secrets of your heart. The thoughts and intents of your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows what you're thinking right now. I wish that guy would hurry up and get done because I'm comfortable. Or I got dinner baking in the oven, you know. You see, the preaching of the Word of God reveals the secrets of man's heart. You know, that's why this church is not full. Because many people don't like that. We want to do our own thing. Go our own way, do our own thing. And God gives us that liberty to do that. But we're going to have to live with the consequences of it. See, it reveals the secrets of man's heart. Romans 16.25 says, also has power to establish you. 
Now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. But there's an interesting statement that Paul makes in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians where he says in verse 38, But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. In other words, if you're going to be willfully ignorant, if you will not listen to the word of God, it is ignorance at your own peril. Because if you notice what he says here in preceding verses, he says in verse 37, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. I just didn't put together a book to send to you of what I thought. No. These are the commandments of the Lord. And if you want to be ignorant, God will allow you to be ignorant. But it will be ignorance at your own peril. If you want to refuse to accept the truth and die and go to hell, it's your choice. You know, Proverbs 26 to 12 says this, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. So I asked you, what is the preaching of the word of the Lord doing in your life? Is it building? Is it creating stability, growth? What's it reveal in your heart? A heart that's seeking after God, that is right with God, or a heart that's not right with God? You know, the Word of God will search your heart. And before the Word of God one day, you're going to have to give an account. Just like Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5, who would not humble his heart before God, though he knew all about Nebuchadnezzar and him being humbled by God. And Daniel says, you knew all this, but you've lifted up your hand against the Lord of heaven. And this hand of this writing is from him. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. You see, we can give heed to the word of God. Or we can be ignorant. That is a choice that God gives us. But there are consequences to our choices, which we do not control. So how is it with you this morning? What does the preaching of the word of God doing in your life? Are you submitted to it? Listening? Seeking it? Or are you pushing it away?